1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hey everybody, Welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast as we uh, look forward to Everton's uh, second uh, fixture of the new uh, Premier League season and the, the first week of the, the new campaign. Um, I'm Chris Beasy and I'm joined by our Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas, uh, regular guest Gavin Buckland. And the Echoes Paul Wheelock, as we look forward to uh, tomorrow's early trip to um, Villa Park. And it's it's been a, um, a busy week, Joe, since um, the first um, game of the, the season there. Uh, 1-0 defeat to Lampard's former club, Chelsea. A couple of new signings through the door, um, Conor Cody and um, Amadou uh, Anana. And, I mean, you had the uh, the privilege of sitting down with the first of those, Conor Cody, this week. And uh, certainly, if, if, if he... Um, if he plays on the pitch as well as he, he talks a good game, uh, the Blues could have uh, acquired a good one. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts on uh, Connor Cody, the man, and Connor Cody, the player?
1: Absolutely, Chris. I mean, I think anybody who saw any of the interviews or any of the media that the club put out when announcing his signing earlier in the week would have seen that clearly there's a great deal of, of enthusiasm from him. And he's, he's clearly very happy to be here and, and wants to be mm-hmm. here and do well at Everton. And, you know, when I sat down with him on Wednesday morning, I very much got the same vibe. You know, he seems to be somebody that understands the, the importance of the club to its supporters, uh, the, the, the stature of the club within the wider environment of football generally. And, and it clearly thinks it's a privilege to be here and wants to play football and do well. And, and I think, you know, in sitting sit down with him for 20 minutes and you listen to him talk about it, I think he genuinely sees himself as wanting to come here and, and, and help Everton. Help Frank Lampard with his vision and take the club forward. You know he, he buys into it and, and everything he says is almost everything that you think an Everton fan would want to hear him say. And with the added bonus of, it seems to it comes across as very genuine.
2: Yeah, and um, Gav, I mean you're obviously our our stats man, and you and you pointed out that um he's, uh, that Cody becomes a fourth England um, centre back on on the Everton books now um, after. His, his signing, but I mean, were you pleased that they were able to get the, uh, a player of that that pedigree in, especially obviously after the dreadful double injury blow of uh, Yeri Mina and Ben Godfrey yeah. against Chelsea.
3: Yeah, I'm going to credit Sever Edwards on that on Twitter he pointed that out um, to, to give him credit. It's, it's it's unbelievable that isn't it? We can't yeah. find any any other club that's ever had four England centre halves really? at the same time. We found a couple with three. Yeah, Cozy, uh, well, let's talk about someone. Early on in the week, really like Cody as a, as a player and a, and as a person off the pitch. Um, I think his Ince Frank was talking about leaders in the dressing room and the importance of them in his press conference. And the one thing you know about Connor Cody that he's a leader on and off the pitch, don't you? And I think it'd be a huge asset to Everton, in the same way as Tarkovsky will be. And yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased, really pleased with the signing and. I, I bet it was an incessant conversation, the advert flanked by the sounds of it, um, mm. I think it's just a huge asset and it's a, it's a great deal for the club isn't it, on loan and then permanent signing hopefully, yeah, he's a, I, I really like Conor Cozy and um, he would be a great signer for us and we know what we're going to be getting. Yeah.
2: Um, and Paul, um, it, it's an interesting one in that I think that everyone seems to be, whether they're Evertonians or from the wider footballing world, they think this is a real coup for the Blues. Surprised the way that Wolverhampton Wanderers let him go. I mean, were you surprised in, in, in that, that way? How he's gone from being a captain, playing almost every week, and then all of a sudden he becomes available? I think we might
1: have had a few technical issues there. So, I mean, I'll I'll pick that one. That was We try and work out what's happened with Paul's audio. Um, Yeah, I mean, from from my point of view, it kind of came out of nowhere at the back end of last week. And it was one of those ones where, you know, you looked at it and you thought, well, there's absolutely no doubt that Connor Cody strengthens Everton's first team. It definitely made a lot of sense in that respect. But perhaps, I think, at the back end of last week, bearing in mind that we just had the DCL injury, going into the new season, you thought centre-backs was one of those areas Everton were reasonably well stocked in. Mm-hmm. So you kind of looked at it and you thought, yeah, absolutely love the idea of the signing, but is that a priority? Obviously, after the injuries that we sadly suffered on, on Sunday, it's certainly increasing its level of importance to Everton. It just seems like a really, really good deal. And, you know, it seems peculiar that Wolves would want to let him go like this. I, I understand that they've, you know, they've switched systems and the, the thought process being that Connor Cody works well when you're playing three centre backs and they want to play two. But it still seems bizarre to be so willing to allow your, your your club captain, a player who is he is a legend at the Walls now. He's been there for really? seven seasons. He's led them from the Championship into the Premiership, consolidated in the Premiership. They've had a good run in the Europa League. You know he's a player of enormous stature there. And you know it, you look at it and you think, well, the suggestion being that he wants you know first team football so that he can challenge for the World Cup, and that is an element of his thinking. But his primary thinking is is, is first team football, and. You know, if, if Wolves have genuinely let him to go as some as one of the narratives is because of the respect they have for him, because he's been such a loyal servant, you think, well, fair play. It's not very often you see that kind of sentimentality as lovely as it is in, in, in modern football. But whatever the reasons behind it from Wolves, and Everton are undoubtedly a huge winner. He, he improves that first team. He's another positive influence in that dressing room. And
2: Everton are definitely better off for it. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll try, Paul. Um this time then, can you hear us now, Paul?
0: I think so, can you hear me all yeah, right? Yeah,
2: there he is, right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like we were saying, um, whether it's noble or naive, it does seem strange that the um, Wolves have let him go in this instance, but I guess uh, in many ways, you know, Everton are the beneficiaries of what, whatever the reasons are.
0: Oh, yeah, without question, without question. Like, uh, I think... I was delighted when the the link started to surface late last week over the weekend, but even more so obviously after the injuries to to Godfrey and and Mina. but i mm-hmm. I think you know you look at him and he's twenty nine years of age, England international. Obviously, I think he's settled. I think he lives in the, the kind of witness area, I believe. Uh, so he's got he's, he's settled there. I I just think he ticks a lot of boxes, you know. And mm-hmm. especially I say, especially after Mina's injury last weekend, because it was such a shame. Cause I thought Everton was so solid, weren't they? Across the ninety minutes, even you know, even when Mason Colgate came on for for Godfrey and then Mina. But it, it's just clear that you know, it's not through no fault of his own. You're just not going to get. A long time, a long run of games. I mean, are you, and across the course of the season, he just has rotten luck with injuries. So we, we needed a replacement, and uh, I think with Cody, it's it's it just I say it like so many boxes. Uh, another leader, I think Tarkovsky slatted in really well, in what we've seen over pre-season and how we played on Saturday against Chelsea, and it just feels like there's a there's a real solid spine being built there. So yeah, absolutely delighted that he's he's coming, and hopefully he's going to do well for the club.
2: Yeah. And uh, going back to you, Joe, obviously he's not the only new face through the door. I mean, we we got a glimpse of him on Saturday at the game, Amadou and Arna. Anyway, he was looking very pleased to be posing for photographs with the fans and various people in in the main stand that go to some part, but for very different reasons. There's a lot of um, feel good factor about this deal as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the type of sign that every single fan of any club in the Premier League wants their, their side to be making, I think, ultimately. You know, if you offered anybody the chance to sign one of Europe's top emerging talents, then we'd all be excited by it. And it's right that Everton fans are. Obviously, he's only young and he's still inexperienced. He's only 20 years of age. And even if he was older and more mature and had more experience, you know, it would still take a while to adapt to life in the Premier League. So I think we have to be very careful about our early expectations for him. But he is a sign that the obviously brings a lot of excitement to this transfer window. And again, he comes in a department where Everton desperately needs strengthening. So, you know, hopefully he can do a job early doors and he can come in and settle in quickly. And, and Everton needs setting midfielders, again, got a lot of injury issues in that area, in, a, in an area where they, they've been seeking to strengthen all summer and probably still want to strengthen, even beyond his signing. But, you know, it's it's, it's a wonderful piece of business. Again, another, another big surprise last week, obviously, Cody... As welcome as, it, as the links were, we're a bit of a surprise in the context of Everton really needing to prioritise on centre back, uh, sorry, uh, centre midfielders and, and, and strikers. And then Onana, in the sense that all of a sudden, you know, the, the chequebook was open to an extent that we perhaps weren't expecting in this transfer window. But you know, whatever the particulars of the deal, Everton have got another fine player on their hands. And you know, in Cody, you've got somebody who can improve the squad now and improve the squad kind of as it goes forward. And in Onana, you've got someone who hopefully can improve the squad now. But you know, he lays the you know, he can be a big part of what Lampard's vision is for Everton. You know, going forward into the long term.
2: Yeah, in that, um, perhaps a surprise in the the amount of obviously that was obviously uh, had to be paid for Onana, um, a reputed fee of over thirty million pounds. We've been told for a lot of the summer that pragmatism was the key, and that you know we couldn't get um, carried away in our expectations for a. Who Everton uh, brought in, but I suppose well, likes to Tarkovsky, Cody very popular for what they are now. Like say at twenty nine years of age, um, Anana is something different in terms of the the type of signing that he is, and like as Joe said, one for the future. And as much as we don't like to say it, when a player's only just come through the door, somebody who has a potential sell on value as well.
3: So is that for me, Chris? Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I like the idea of us having a checkbook, Joe, by the way. You know, <laughs> uh, official Everton checkbook in these digitised times. I think that's that's a nice thought, that isn't it? You yeah. know, yeah, um I can I mean they're shown a lot of faith in them, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. we all know that there is the spending restrictions and, and indeed the cash that was, you know, probably not going to be available during the summer for a number of reasons. But you know, so if you were you know, on the one hand, we're talking to say PSG about wanting to, you know, do a deal that benefits us financially over, is this a guy and guy and then the next minute we're splashing out 30 million quid, albeit on a, you know, this was annual payments. So, but we're showing a lot of faith, aren't we, in that context on a on a 20-year-old when mm-hmm. when money is not, we're not necessarily flush to pay that amount out of our transfer kitty or whatever you would call it. It, it shows that Frank and the management team must must see something in him. And and at that age, as you say quite right, he's got a he's got a, a sell-on value as well. I uh, hope he've got a you know closing his contract if he ever gets transfer for a higher fee. And yeah, I, I think I've not really seen him. But the no. one thing I would say and I should have said that on Monday really is and I should be give, giving credit to the club here is we we appear for the first time in a long time to have a coherent transfer strategy where it's quite quite clear in in a given window what we're trying to do. And -hmm. it's quite clear at the end of last season, you just saw our record in the campaign, and there's one figure that stands out. Was it 66 Premier League goals conceded, was it? Is that what it was? Something like that. Yeah. So if you concede that many goals this season, the chances are you're going to be in and around relegation places aren't you and and I think the feeling is they're using this transfer window to ensure that we don't concede 60 odd goals again this season you need to bring that figure right down reflect the books and the players that they bought um, their age and experience and also tied in with Ashley Cole doing more defensive duties and it's it's quite clear our whole transfer window is built around that and mm-hmm. and that's good to say. And within that, we've got some good deals, haven't we? Tarkovsky and, and Cody, where there's no transfer fee. And and I think we we, we should actually give credit for the club for it and the management team for the change. You have been lambasted in the past of of being you know being disorganised and and you know flying by the seats of the pants when it comes to transfer window. It's quite clear what we're, what we're trying to do here. And we may even strengthen in, in, in centre midfield and you know, in particular before the end of the window. be nice if we can get a striker in. I think we should give credit for that. I mean, if, if I had got a bit of stick when he said, well, you know, wait wait till the end of the transfer window to George. And people jumped on him saying, well, there's five games at the end of the transfer window. He, he didn't say, oh, we won't be signing players at the very end, did he, though, to be fair? And, and, and I think credit so far for what's been a productive and positive you know, a few weeks for us off the pitch in terms of bringing players in. And uh long may it continue.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Yeah, and Paul, I mean, I've done a piece this week and we've got, sort of looked at, are actually a lot of similarities with uh, the Anana deal and, and Marwan Fellaini, virtually the same age, both uh Belgian internationals and, and the kind of stature that they that they bring to the... The midfield as gav says we might not have seen too much about him but he he is a sort of um sort of the profile of player who, who gets the pulses racing and, it, and it's a bit different than what we've had in in recent times where there's been a, a, a lot of spent on on older players who haven't always delivered perhaps they do have to have a bit of that leap of faith to go for somebody who has potential
0: yeah it's not just his nationality his age his age his height uh yeah. it, but he just feels obviously back then Money was tighter, wasn't it? But for, for different reasons to, to, to put to what it probably what it is now. Uh, and the fact that Lampard and Fellwell were willing to spend what I imagine is a significant part of the budget on one yeah. player speaks volumes. And and to be honest, so does the fact that Moyes was, was going to do it as well, because obviously you know how careful he is with with, with the club's money we've seen in Everton yeah. and we've seen it with West Ham, like, you know, obviously. He had a few missteps after leaving Everton, but his recruitment at West Ham's been absolutely superb. So, if they were willing to spend thirty odd million on Anana, suggest that. And Morris was was keen on the deal. Suggest that we're going to get a very very good player. But it's yeah, it's, it's, I think Gab was spot on what he was saying a, a moment ago. I was quite infused by Saturday. I you know uh, we obviously lost the game one nil, but. It it was and we, we, we were, it wasn't back to the wall was it I think it was better than what we saw at the end of last season it was definitely progression in terms of when we got the ball down in the final third but it, it what screened out to me we just looked a, a lot more solid of a side and if that's the way we're going to go with Cody Tarkowski, Polgate, Mina Keen Godfrey when he comes back and two solid centre midfielders I can live with that because I think there is. Creativity in the in the fullbacks. There's you know there's there's definitely still room for improvement in Mikolenko and Patterson. Or if you play a Woby wide there, and the obviously the attacking the attacking players, you can see what's being done. And to follow on from that other point, yeah, it's it is probably for the first time that we're seeing a real coherent strategy forming. And I think Adam said it in a piece this week. Then he said there's still work to be done, and you can understand why. There's a There's a bit of mistrust or cynicism among Evertonians when it comes to recruitment. After what's been kind of spent and wasted in recent years, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Anana play. And comes back to another point that you guys have been speaking about. I think the Belgium under 21 manager was was quoted in uh, a paper over there earlier this week saying, like Everton in a couple of years could have like a 70, 80 million pound, 80 million euro euro player million euro player in a couple of years time and and that's horrible to say that but listen look at Richarlison if Richarlison hadn't developed into the player he was today this transfer window would have been looking very differently and that's probably a bit of reality where the club is at the moment where you know if you have to bring in young players maybe get three four years out of them then sell them on that's you know there's big clubs out there the likes of Dortmund do do it so well and that's really for now I think what Everton should be aiming for
2: Yeah, and we've spoken, Joe, um, we're very pleased with the kind of transfers who have come through the door already, but there are two um, glaring areas still to be filled really in terms of, we know Anana can play in front of that back four, but I believe we're told he's better deployed going forward, so there's still that number six that Frank has spoken about and then what was also obvious from the Chelsea game, the striker. So whoever the, um, Lampard and Fellwell can identify that those two areas still need to be filled. And we probably thought Idrissa Gay would have been one of those now, but that, that still hasn't happened.
1: It still hasn't happened. though. of course, it seems to be be rumbling on much to probably the frustration of of, of a, a lot of people certainly involved in, in the talks at this end. I think there probably was a bit of hope that when those, talk started that he might be in place to, to play against Aston Villa and you know had had he been signed by now, I think he probably would have made the starting lineup providing he was he was match fit. You know, Everton clearly obviously they sign one midfielder, they clearly need another. I think Lampard, you know, has always sought the signing of, of two midfielders if possible during this, this transfer window. Um, that's a situation that's perhaps been intensified by by the injuries Everton have in in that department as well. And then it's clear as as, as day to anybody that Everton need a striker. I think they needed a striker even before Calvert-Lewin picked up his injury. They potentially could have had somebody in the mould of Richarlison who could have played as a a winger or as a striker. Maybe that's not so important now that they've also signed uh, Dwight McNeil. Mm -hmm. But I think that even when Calvert-Lewin comes back, you know, Calvert-Lewin, Rondon, probably even if Evan end up playing one up top, then they probably need an, another striker. So that's obviously going to be a priority. And you know, there are lots of names being linked with them at the minute. I think if uh, if you were the agent of a striker in Europe, you'd be you'd be ringing up Everton, Vinch Farm, you'd be in Kevin Fowler and try to tout your players' services because obviously... You know, Everton in in, in desperate need of reinforcement in that area, and it's going to be really interesting, I think, to see how they go about that in the next few weeks. Because the the Onana signing was is is a brilliant one on, on so many levels, but all of a sudden, there must be a fair few clubs that Everton have been in talks with over the summer, who may well have not thought that Everton could sign off a deal like as big as that. And I think it's important to understand that. Yeah, the, the money for Anana is going to be structured very carefully you know it'll be mm-hmm. another one where it's, the payments will go in instalments over a long period of time and it's it's not quite handed over that full pot of money or even a significant chunk of it straight away but there may well be a few of those clubs that perhaps might have been more open to you know allowing a player to go on loan to everton or perhaps accepting only a small initial payment uh, we may well be looking at it and thinking, well, perhaps Everton might have a little bit more money than mm. than we initially uh, than we initially thought, and that might complicate things. On the other hand, it might may well be that they do have a chunk of money that they can spend and that they've been saving it for and put aside. And they're just doing a lot of due diligence and searching for the right person. So, I mean, I, it will have not have escaped anybody that Finch Farm that Everton need a strike. I mean, Gav's rightly praised. I think the recruitment strategy for this 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 summer because it for once it clearly seems that there is a a strategy in place and there's no way that you could draw up a strategy that makes any sense that would have any coherence that wouldn't have started at the beginning of the summer which said well one of the things that we need to do is get a striker they've delivered in several other areas of the pitch so i i don't have any doubt that they will bring a striker in just who that is and on what terms and when that is, is 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 the question i think
2: yeah and Gav, they, they say, never go back. I mean, we have plenty of players who have gone back to Everton, the manager who came back for three separate stints, Obviously the most successful manager in the club's history, Howard Kendall, though he wasn't as successful with those subsequent stints. Um, Adrissa gay, I mean where, where, if you were Frank Lampard right now, would you mean how long would you, you keep waiting for him or would you just um, would, would you be getting a bit fed up by now?
3: I think he's probably fed up already, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I think he can only give somebody so long. And as Joe was saying, there's, there's a lot of probably complexities in the deal that may not have yeah. been there a fortnight ago, uh, both for player and, and club. So I think Frank could be looking out elsewhere, but at the same time. To say, just a guy and a guy, I wouldn't necessarily be a fan of him returning. Anyway, so if we get somebody else mm. in, I, I wouldn't be too upset about that either. Um, but I think he'd be looking at other options. I know we've been linked with a couple of other other players, but it's vital that we get, yeah, we, it's vital that we get a six in, isn't it really? Uh, mm. to, as you say, and, and Arna sounds like he's a bit more of a Fellaini type player possibly. So we just need to get somebody in in that that area of the pitch. I suspect Frank could be looking looking elsewhere as we speak. Yeah,
2: and uh, Paul, just finally on, on the transfer um, side of things, I mean, did you have a, a, an appetite for, 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 a, for a drissa Gay to come back and, and has that now changed because of the, the way things have panned out? We probably imagine that would have been the first deal over the line amongst um, all of these ones that we've been talking about.
0: Probably the, the thing putting me off would be his age, you know, the, the fact mm. that, you know, I can't imagine he'd come for anything less than a two, three-year contract. Uh, and you don't, I'm not sure you want to be handing that out to. Is he 33? I think he so is he's now 30 32. 12, yeah. 33 next month. But the, on the flip side, he should be able to hit the ground running. You know, he was an excellent mm. play for Everton. I know our colleague Matt Jones was speaking to Julian Lorenz, as the, the French yes. journalist about him earlier this week. And I think he was saying that where he might not be quite as dynamic as he was when he first went to Paris Centre, man, as, as to be expected. You know, he's had three, three years there he's a more rounded footballer so that you mm-hmm. know that 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 infused that encouraged me i'm probably in an ideal world would be getting him on a loan deal but i'm pretty sure his psg contract runs out next summer so that will no doubt di- make things difficult why would psg want to loan him out for the final year his contract i've got all the money in the world and i problem. i can imagine that he may well be looking for some kind of payoff from saint mm-hmm. man because i'd be amazed if he's coming back on the same wages that he's he's got there i I'd take him, but it's a bit different. It's a bit different with Tarkovsky and Cody. They're both younger. You know, mm-hmm. their, their appearance record over the last few years has been like fantastic, hasn't it? They've hardly missed the game. But given the fact that it's stretched on now, I would be loath to, to to look elsewhere. I would not be would be devastated at all if he signs. You know, if he rocks up in the next couple of days <laughs> or weeks. But yeah, it, what's holding it up? You know, I'm sure. Paris Saint-Germain won him off the won him out of, off the books, don't they? You know he's not been in the squad. He's been transfer listed. Yeah. It sounds he knows all about Everton. You know what's holding it up. So yeah, it, it does give me a few doubts.
2: Yeah, and then moving on to a very important anniversary this week. Um, a, a year since um, the construction work uh, started on um, Everton's new stadium, or Everton Stadium, as is now being branded by the club. Until um, such time as a sponsor, a naming rights sponsor is is agreed. Um, possibly in a couple of years' time. Who knows, Tottenham's still waiting for their one, but um, Daniel Levy, a bit tougher with negotiations, perhaps. Um, but yeah, Joe, um, terrific, terrific um, progress has been made and, and it's there for, for all to see. I mean, the club remain obviously cautious about um, progress, but everything, as we understand, is, is on schedule at the moment and it's looking good. It really
1: is. It really is. And, yeah, you know, when you go past it, if you drive past the site, if you go past it on the train or if you... If you go past on the on the Mersey Ferry, you know it really mm-hmm. is it really is eye catching now. Obviously, the four tower cranes have been there for, for for most of the summer, but what's now emerging alongside them and the other structures, including obviously you know the the the, the huge one one tier stand, which is is going to be fantastic. You know, we're really starting to see something that resembles a football stadium, and obviously you know that's going to happen. You know that it's still going to be some way off, but. It's it's impossible not to get excited by it. you know not just for what it means for, for, for the club but what it means as a city for the city as well you know the the regenerational value that that'll have for for North Liverpool and and for Bootle and the the surrounding areas is just you know even on a in in the in the levels away from football it's just absolutely superb so I think you know it's something that's easy to get behind and yeah it's it's really exciting watching it go up every time we go past I feel like I'm seeing a you know some, something new is, is is emerging like a new feature of a stand or a new staircase or you know there's another crane or, or something like that and you know we see sometimes i think you know a lot of amateur drone um operators go down there and they put up their videos on on, on youtube and on twitter and that and it just it's just fascinating watching it come together piece to piece especially now that it's starting to resemble a bones the skeleton of a a football stadium you start to point to things and go oh i understand what that probably is you know it's exciting times it is and it's 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 almost reassuring as well now because you can you can see that the progress is being made you know for for so much of it it's been behind closed doors but at ground level or obviously you know even below ground level trying to sort that stuff out so from the outside looking in you can't see anything so you're like what's going on what's going on now you can you can you can see the physical changes every every week or so and, and and that's going to be fascinating to watch as the, as, as the development continues the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo
2: yeah and gav um, as joe has mentioned those physical changes that we can see with our own eyes what goes along with that is an increased confidence um over the whole um project um everton have launched a a website um just dedicated to the everton stadium now that this week day after the anniversary there's um, all kinds of information coming out now on the way they're going to be revolutionizing hospitality at the new stadium um, a scheme they call all in terms of it's all inclusive lots of different sort of options for for supporters it does seem a a lot more uh, tangible now and i suppose um uh, from a confidence point of view you can see where the club are becoming bolder now as it, as it moves forward because we go' remember in the, the not too distant past there was a lot of naysayers on this project
3: yeah i mean that's from the financial side isn't it really and that's mm-hmm. that's um understandable given there's at least one major club in in europe that's got a half built stadium haven't he because of of the owner so I, I fully understand why people getting a little bit touchy over it mm-hmm. And um, having said that, the, the stuff that's come out this week about the all you, know, you know, project for want of a better phrase, mm-hmm. is it? It's not not something new. I, I went to a, a presentation by the club three years ago. Yeah. And even then it was quite clear what they wanted to do regarding things like hospitality and the match their experience, and making it a lot more varied and a, a lot more flexible than what what it has been in the past. And I think that's that's you know, in in the present economic environment, getting somebody to I don't know pay thirty thousand for a box for a season, or, or even a two or three thousand pound for, you know, just a just a, a table and a meal before the game for the campaign is, is you, you've got to give people more than that. And and the club were t- talking about that three years ago. of mm-hmm. of i the I, mean, I don't want to use the phrase average, but just the, 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 the person who just normally goes and sits down is is given giving them a little bit more than just mm-hmm. a, a max state ticket but without making it too expensive so it, it freezes them out and and i think that's what the, this is part of that strategy isn't it really because that's the way we we make money from the stadium that's the way it's gonna gonna have to go isn't it really have to be flexible and and and, and inclusive which is where you hear a hell of a lot these days isn't it um inclusive is is, is a key part of that I've, I've given opportunities for most the majority of fans who want it a, a little bit more than the just a normal match day experience
2: yeah and uh paul it's obviously it's, it's not just um the, the corporate types i mean there's the the, the the people with the the ordinary uh match day season tickets as well. I mean, as someone who's been very much involved in the publishing of many of these articles this week that we've been producing on, on the stadium, do, do you share this, this excitement now about the, the progress which has been made lately?
0: Oh yeah, very much so. Like uh kids and wives have gone down to see the in-laws, uh, her mum and dad, so I been a cherished time on my own last night. So I was on the new uh, <laughs> stadium. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, had the, I was on the new stadium website and yeah, it really did hit home, you know, because I think sometimes working for the echo because we see, you know, the, the stories you'd say, you can almost take it for granted a little bit. And like, mm-hmm. I, I was feeling guilty about that almost. So I kind of went down there at night one time recently, mm-hmm. down Bramie's old, just don't have a look at like what the yeah. place was like when I knew it wouldn't be too busy. Uh, and then like Reno last night, and it, yeah, it really did. You know, it it, it, it really is exciting. And like reading the, the, the stadium director's blog as well, you know, I think that the club deserve a lot of credit. You know, it's, it sounds like they're not blowing the trumpets too much, but the they seem that they're very much on track. They seem that they've kept the, you know, the cost by, you know, fixing the cost. They seem to have, in very difficult you know, <laughs> economic times, mm-hmm. they seem to be doing everything right. And it is, it is, it does make, you know, when we were talking earlier about like the recruitment and it's, you just wonder if the, the current feeling about the club would have been, oh, so different, you know, if they'd actually got the, the recruitment right over these last couple of years, you know, on yeah. the field, because it's almost... It, rightly, you know, it, it overshadows the work that's been doing off the field because like, you know, football is the, what happens on the pitch is what people you know really care about the most. But obviously it's so 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 crucial to our future this stadium and it's yeah, it's, it's very exciting. The, the club as I say, the, the club deserve credit for, for getting to this stage where where they, they currently are at and like yeah, it's say further the way through, who knows what it's gonna look like in a year's time, but it, it does it, it does feel like it's really real now, you know, really yeah. resonates.
2: Yeah. Well, well, hopefully, we, we we're led to believe if everything does continue on track externally, it will look pretty much done in about a year's time. Uh, the final year of the three-year build will be will be on mostly on uh, interior work, so that would be encouraging. If it actually looks done, like an almost complete football stadium, in a year. But moving forward to tomorrow's early morning kickoff, myself and uh, Joe are both heading down to Birmingham for Aston Villa versus. Everton, and it was always going to be a big fixture, Joe. But uh, you know, a bit playing to play for there, given that both teams—I mean, I'll be encouraging display for Everton. They both got off to losing starts in, in, in the Premier League season, so there'll be a bit of extra incentive for, for both of them to try and get a result tomorrow.
1: Everybody wants to get off to a, as good a start to the season as possible, Chris, don't they? And I think for Aston Villa in particular, they'd have looked at that Bournemouth fixture. I know it's away from home at a newly promoted side, but. Bearing in mind the amount of money that they've spent over the past year or so, I think many would have thought that, that was going to be nailed on for an Aston Villa win and a nice start to the season for them. As it happened, that, that wasn't the case. They lost 2-0 there. And I think there were a few question marks over some of the defending, particularly at Set Pieces, something that, you know, that we know all too well from from, from recent seasons, or albeit he yeah, looked very good defending set-pieces against Chelsea the other day. So, you know, I think Stephen Giles probably under quite a fair bit of, of pressure there because of the money that's been spent. And mm-hmm. yeah, he didn't really pull up any trees at the back end of last season. So, I think he would have been hoping for a quick start to the season. He didn't get that at Bournemouth. There will almost certainly be a reaction of some sort. Obviously, it's Aston Villa's first home game of the season. And, yeah, there, there are a lot of narratives at play, aren't there? Obviously, both had losing starts. And I think it's the first time that... Lampard and Gerrard face each other in dugouts as managers. And we all know about the kind of the, the, the rivalry that was certainly pitched in the media um, around their playing days and Liverpool versus Chelsea and who should play where in and, and the England squad and things like that. So, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Everton would obviously love to get their first win or certainly their first points of, of the season as well. I think, um, I think it's going to be tough tomorrow because obviously there's still a lot of injury issues and even the new players coming in if any of them do come in you know they've only had a limited time to train with with with, with the squad so you have know, to very much a side in transition and, and hopefully they be able to get something from tomorrow but as tempting as it there will always there may well be some sections of the fan base that might panic if they lose their first two but I hope there's a little bit more patience and that's I think everyone can kind of see from the wider point of view things are going in the right
2: direction. Yeah, and Gav, I think a big, obviously there's two new signings. whether he decides to use them or not, but as we've already mentioned about last weekend, the big uh, glare in Hull the side was the, the lack of a recognised centre-forward. Um, Salomon Rondon returns from suspension. I mean, d- d- does he come in for you or not, or do you have to work around that problem again?
3: Yeah, uh, in Sestamon, someone's mm. how fit Rondon will be, um, I think. Yeah, I think it's this, this obvious, isn't it, really? I, I I think I'd still... I think you'd probably end up playing Rondo for the simple reason that he is a centre-forward. And as much as I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd play Ali because he sort of played that area of the pitch without being a recognised striker, I think Rondon may not be ideal, but it'll, it'll give a proper shape to the team mm-hmm. and help put players in the right positions, um, which wasn't wasn't the case last week so as much as it's not ideal I think I'd, I'd play Rondon and that would enable us to play but I presume you play Gordon and McNeil I think if we did that I would imagine Damari Gray would be the person to to to, to step out mm. or if you play like a front front, assume that is we play a front three uh, so, yeah, so Rondon for me not ideal but I think it, it gives us better shape up top than what we had last week yeah
2: and uh paul you'll obviously remember a similar age to myself and both the, the the managers were a little bit younger than than uh one of them Lampard. Uh, but our sort of era i guess um like we said there was a great rivalry between um players and as much as they might play it down um as managers don't want to get one over on each other as well
0: oh yeah without without question you know that's we spoke to joe earlier and as he mm. said i think it's certainly going to be the narrative in the the nationals tomorrow morning yeah. isn't it given you know given the history and all the the talk about whether they could ever play together but you know even mm. though one obviously played for forever it's mm. biggest rivals they were two world-class performers and mm. you know uh the be interesting to see i uh, probably when Gerard took over Villa and he had the, the start that he did, he had a pretty positive start, obviously he won at Everton as well. Then uh you know, everything was rosy there, but, you know, looking from the outside, you know, he's made a big call about Tyrone Mings. actually don't actually blame him, you know, dropping him from the side. Cause I'm not sure about his ability to be honest, Tyrone rings. And if you're not going to play him, you can't really be captain, but you could see from Bournemouth things, things weren't, things went well there. And, you know, earlier in the show, I was a bit, worried about this game because, you know, full out at Villa, they made a lot of signings early doors, and the lad from Sevilla and the lad from Marseille. You know, maybe it won't be as tough a game as we first imagined. I still think it'd be a tough game. You know, we've not got the best records there, I think. Gav will probably know better. I think there was a time where we won a couple of games, I know, two or three games on the run, in maybe like the 2000s. But over the years, I can't remember Villa Park being a happy hunting ground, to be honest. But, yeah, like Joe says, a, a, a defeat there tomorrow... You shouldn't set the alarm bells ringing. You know, there's a, a very winnable game coming up against Forest the week after, but I, you, you would want to be coming away from there with, with something tomorrow, to be honest. And you know, given the way that Villa played against Bournemouth, there's no reason why not. I thought we were pretty good against Chelsea, and maybe if I certainly do think if if Calvert-Lewin had played, we, we would have got maybe a point or maybe even a win. And that maybe could have you know been the case with Rondon as well. So that's why I probably go along with Gav and say get Rondon in there tomorrow. Yeah.
2: So, here we go then. Predictions time. We'll come to you first. Joe, you're, you're going to be there with, with myself, going to be covering the game for the Echo. How, how do you see it going tomorrow? Yeah, well, I
1: mean, just some answer to your last question, I definitely, I think I'd start, Rondon, just yeah. on the basis that uh, he gives them a little bit different. up front, gives them a focal point for, you know, Paterson and Mikhlenko, their, their work down the wings. And also, I say, I know it's only 90 minutes, the first 90 minutes of the season, so you can't read it, it too much into it, but... Villa seem to struggle with Kiefer Moore quite a lot against Bournemouth, and you know, he's a big lad that obviously scored the second for a header from across. So, I think having Rondom up top might might be quite a useful attribute for Everton tomorrow. Um, I, I think I, I think it's a tough game. Uh, I think it's a game that, that Villa really need to look at to, to try and win. But I I think Everton might do quite well tomorrow. I think I think I think it might be an entertaining start to the weekend's football, and I am going to go for two two.
2: Kevin, I mean, yeah, any any advances on two
3: two? Two sounds like a good game. Just uh, was looking at, the, we've not beaten Villa since they come back up. Really, yeah. in Two thousand nineteen, going on what Paul was saying. Uh, I think two two lost lost four, which considering they've already been tearing up seas themselves mm-hmm. in those three campaigns, is a is a bit of surprise. On the on, also on the basis that a positive start always leads to a disastrous result. I'm gonna, <laughs> I've got, I'm going to mention we've not lost our opening league, away league game of a campaign since 2010 oh, okay uh, one, one five, two, 6 indeed since 2000 of our 21 opening away games of the season we've only lost three okay so um, picked to early last season then yeah yeah and, uh, <laughs> I think last year yeah, last year I think it was Leeds first game um, yeah. so I think I think we'll get a result tomorrow. I think Villa are under hell of a lot of pressure, aren't they? By the sounds of it, there's a there's a rumblings off the pitch, and bit supporters. And I think I think we'll. I'm going to say we'll win tomorrow because I just yeah. think I just got a funny feeling. Yeah. I, I think we'll win two 0 Oh wow, that
2: is bold. Well, I, I'm I'm still haunted by the six two defeat on the telly. Was it about eighty oh, nine? Yeah, nice Yeah
3: but bonfire bonfire night like 1989 I believe it was wasn't it yeah, yeah, on the, yeah on the tally get beat 6-0 as well
2: <laughs> yeah it's a, couple of, a couple of consolation goals so yeah. um, what are you reckon then Paul
0: Oh, that's brought bad memories back. We were in that yeah, grey nice and white kit that night, weren't we? Yeah, that's the you only, uh,
2: good point, I think, about that.
0: Yeah, oh, dearly, mate. Uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to stay positive. I'm, my, my head is, is saying a point like Joe, but I've just talked me into a win. So went, uh, <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm going to say 2-1. I've just kind of got the sinking feeling that Danny Ings will score his you know usual goal against us at some point. Uh, but yeah, I, I, they, they, if we can get the first goal, I don't think all dwells there. You know, I don't think all is wells there. and I, I, There was enough against Chelsea to suggest that. You know, we don't look too bad, so I'm going to go two one out and win.
2: But don't worry to end on too much of a dampener. But I, I think that the, the heat may get the better of both of them, and we're still looking looking side at the back, but sort of. Struggling a bit up front. I'm going to go for a nil-nil draw. I'm afraid I'm going to have to end on that one on a stalemate. Although, you know, it wouldn't be a bad result for Everton, I think, in in the context of things if that was the case. But, yeah, I'll I'll go for a nil-nil draw. And uh, we'll wait and see then come Monday just how accurate we all were with those um, predictions and whether we're uh, looking at Everton turning around and Frank Lampard potentially putting one over on Steve and Gerrard. There's plenty of uh, permutations to consider over the weekend. But um, I've been Chris Beasy, You've been joined by Joe Thomas, Gavin Buckland and Paul Wheelock. And this has been the Royal Blue Podcast.
3: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.